Amen. Well, thank you for uh, <clears throat> having me. Just one second. Highlands, ever since I met uh, David in Starbucks that one day, has just continued to repeatedly be a huge blessing. I never, I never knew that um, knowing David, but also accidentally and sometimes reluctantly getting to know Lee, uh, would, would lead to the, the richness of blessing. I'm, I'm being completely honest. I just I feel so much love from you all. Um, I, I can't even stand it. it. Just I was so glad to get an invitation to come here. Uh, the sermon this morning, or what I have to share with you, um, doesn't come from one particular passage of Scripture, but rather a few different passages of Scripture. But what I want you to leave with today is just this theme, this concept, that our Lord calls us into a life that really just doesn't make sense. He does things that, doesn't, that don't make sense. I mean, there are so many things that I'm just reading in Scripture. I'm like, Lord, what in the world were you doing there? It just doesn't make sense. And then because we are empowered by His Spirit, because He lives within us and advances His kingdom in us and through us, He is calling us into a life that if somebody were not a believer, if somebody did not know who Christ was, they were on the outside looking in. They would look at our life and we would be characterized by those are the people who live life in a way that just doesn't make sense. And so I, wanna, I just want to go to a few passages of Scripture and, and we're going sh- to see how, how often just crazy it is to be a follower of the Lord. Uh, the first passage is going to be in Exodus 13. So if you're following, Exodus 13. <clears throat> here you have Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And they are being hotly pursued by this this intense army and you got to you got to put yourself in Moses' shoes here okay lord i've got all these people following me i'm giving the directives here we're being we're being chased by sort of an angry pharaoh where do we go and the lord says take them to the edge of the ocean i live in, i live close to the gulf of mexico so I'm, I'm in my desk, right? I'm just I'm thinking about this. If I'm a general of an army, and we, we are totally underprepared for this thing, we don't have any weapons, really. I mean, we can't really defend ourselves. And we're being chased. The last place I would go is to the edge of the ocean. It just doesn't make sense, does it? And in Exodus 13, verse uh, 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So it totally makes sense to, to sort of retreat and, and run away on land. But God says, no, no, no. I want you to go to the edge of the ocean. Put yourself, any general these days that takes his army, when they know they've been, they're in trouble, and he goes to the edge of the ocean, would lose everything. He'd be complete. I mean, I, I would imagine that some of his subordinates would go, you know what, I'm going to have to just trump your authority this time. Because this just doesn't make sense, does it? There's another passage that is really dear to me, actually. When, uh, when, when Katie and I really felt called to, 
purchased some property in Trinity Gardens in this neighborhood. Um, we talked about it uh, a little bit, but hadn't been really, I hadn't really communicated. You know, I'm the visionary. I'm the one that goes home and says, you know what, we're going to conquer the world. And Katie's like, whoa, you know, and I'm going to drag you along with me, babe. And, you know, uh, so I wanted to make sure I didn't do that this time. So I, the next the next passage of Scripture in my Bible, uh, in my reading that morning, was Numbers 14. And this is when the people of Israel are about to go over into the land. They had just received the report of the spies. And look at this, Numbers 14. Because that night I got a bit scared. Um, you know, I'd heard of gunfire and all sorts of things that might happen in the neighborhood and, and, and guys that move into neighborhoods like this and they're kind of dangerous and, and whatnot. And I just got a bit scared that morning. And then I read this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. I mean, these are real concerns, aren't they? That if you, if you go to a place that it seems dangerous, you know, if we weren't married, it'd be an easy, it'd be an easy decision. It'd make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, I've only got me to care for. But what about your wife and your kids? I've heard that, you know, a hundred times probably. What about your wife and your kids? It just doesn't make sense. And I read this passage and it was almost as if the Lord was like, you know what? I've got you. This is nothing new. It's not even about this neighborhood. When you walk with me, you should be asking, you know, is it, does it make sense to walk with the Lord? He's calling us into places that just don't make sense, right? And things get a little bit crazier, even after they get into the promised land. I mean, you've got Joshua 6. You know, I read that last week in my Bible reading. You know, they march around the city one time for six days. And you could imagine at the evening of that sixth day, and the, the, the leaders of the army are like, okay, we've got to get our rest because tomorrow we're going to go to battle, and we're going to need all of our strength, we're going to need everything we've got. And then they get the directives when they wake up this morning. We're going to have to walk around it one more time, I bet, because we've probably we've done that, but we're conditioned to do that one lap, you know, and then you get the directive, take seven. I, never, I mean, walk around the city seven times and see if you feel like fighting, you know, after that. It just doesn't make sense. It's as if the Lord was like, you know what, I'm going to exhaust every bit of strength you have, and then I'm going to tell you to go to battle. It just doesn't make sense. It's just crazy. And then we come to John 3.16. A passage that we have recited so many times it just makes sense. It's a passage that we all know so well that it doesn't have any shock value anymore. But I tell you, I bet, I would have, I would have loved to just sort of feel for a minute what Nicodemus would have felt when Jesus told him that because it, I'm sure it would have shocked him. In John chapter 3, 
It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that could be an entire sermon in itself. But the, the thing that doesn't make sense here is the fact that God loved the world. And, you know, a lot of times in our circles we're like, okay, well, how does John define the word world there? He obviously doesn't mean every single individual in the world. And I don't think that's what John was getting at here. I think John was getting at here more uh, of a moral character of the word world. Not necessarily an ontological, or what, what, what actually encapsulates the world, but what is the nature of this people group that God loved? And you hear things in the first few chapters of John like, you know, the word came to them and the world did not know him. Or, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so this is a world that is completely evil, it's completely dark, its works are dark, if there's light coming in anywhere, they hate it. It's morally charged. <clears throat> and I'm like, Lord, I, I understand that. But I think that's the problem. I think I just understand it too, too much. I'm trying to understand it too much. Give me a, 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 a cultural context in our culture where we might define the world how... Nicodemus would have defined the world. It's like, okay. It's like Jesus would have been saying something like, for God so loved the people that you go to websites and make sure that they don't live in your neighborhood before you move their world. What sort of offenses have they committed in the past when you bring up their picture online and you read the list of offenses that they've made, and you determine your daily activity around them, world. Dateline makes shows about this type of world. Who do you have in your own life that you have a certain uh, world? It's the people that we just, not only intellectually, because we're going to intellectualize it. Yeah, Lord, I know you love every, you know, I know that, that it's unconditional. But deep in our hearts, there's a, there's a desire, there's, there are affections inside of us that bypass our intellect that say, you know what, God doesn't love them, they're too unlovable. They're dark, they don't even like the light, I try to bring the light, they don't like the light, you know what? Or they're lazy. Or they take advantage of me. Or they, or they whatever. And the fact of the matter is that the beauty of this passage is that it absolutely doesn't make sense. It's, shock. it's shocking that God loves the world. And we ought to be pouring over this passage to bring it to life again. So that we understand that God loves the world. Really? That, and the, here's the other charge word, that whosoever, whosoever, this, non, this non-exclusive term, whoso, are you, are you serious, God? Whosoever, really? 
And so what we do is we take this word world and we take it, we send it off to the Nerf store and we put pads on it so that it's not sharp, so that it's not dirty, it's not bloody. Your kids can play with it. They'll be fine. They can get hit in the head with it. It'll be fine. You know, we take this word world to the Nerf store and make sure it's not sharp anymore and we make it make sense. And in, in many ways in our life, we, we, we try to make God and the way he does things make sense. And here are just a few ways that we do that. Um, if you have this on your refrigerator, please don't take this the wrong way. Um, but orphans, right? A lot of us support orphans. And uh, maybe in, in another country. And the picture that we have of them is usually a very cute picture. You know, they're, they're smiling, or uh, maybe you might see an infomercial. Uh, I remember growing up, what, what was her name? Sally Struthers. And, uh, and that is absolutely the case. It is a very um, serious issue. However, um, what I would challenge everyone in this group to do is to take about five children who have never had parenting, who have never had a mother or father, and who have grown up with other children in the streets, bring them over to your house for an hour and babysit and see what kind of description you give orphans. See if what you feel when you look at the picture lines up with how you feel after they've left the house. Right? Are y'all tracking with me? Uh... You know, we're like, the first thing that happens when children come over to our house and they begin acting up, breaking things and everything, we're like, you know what? They, they don't need to come over again because their parents just will not train them right, rightly. And so we, we bring the nurse store to this word orphans who we're called to love. We, we try to make it make sense. Oh, they're cute, they're lovable, and, and the thing, and don't get me wrong, they ought to be loved, but not for the wrong reason. Not because they're cute and cuddly, it's because they're made in the image of God and we are called to go and, and love and they've got great things to offer. Not because we feel sorry and because it makes sense. Uh, secondly, one thing that I always did is when I read about you know, reaching prisoners, I always in my mind go, oh, these are the prisoners that are in jail against their will. You know, they, these are the prisoners that have actually, haven't done anything wrong but they were persecuted and so they're in prison now. You know, th- those kind of prisoners, but... It's like, no, these are the prisoners that committed crimes and they're in jail and were called to go to prisoners. But Scott, they don't deserve it. They're, they're horrible criminals. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't make sense, does it? Another way that we try to make life make sense, and I'm almost finished, is that we try to make ourselves lovable. We have our idea of what we ought to be like and look like in order to be lovable. Whether it be young ladies looking at magazine, the cover of magazines in the supermarket and it says, you know what, I've got to be this way in order to be lovable. Whether it be in certain cultures where you have to know the right answers, the right theological answers in order to be accepted. Okay, I'll do that in order to be lovable. 
whether it be I need to reach a certain socioeconomic status, whether or not it be whatever. And you know what? I'll do that in order to be lovable. What are we, the church, communicating to an outside world that we have to be in order to be lovable to God, in order for it to make sense that God would actually look upon us and love us? What are we communicating? Are we communicating that we serve a God that makes sense? Are we, are we communicating to the world that, you know what, He's just like everybody else in the world. He loves those that love Him back. And then we get shocked when Jesus says, you know what, if you love people who love you back, what good is it to you? What reward do you have? Nothing. You get the praise of man, that's about it. You get the comfortable life. But I'm calling you to actually love those who are called your enemies, those who are very difficult to love, because when you have people looking upon your life and you, they see you struggling and straining and wrestling at, in your bed at night going, you know what, there's something in my heart that I cannot change. My intellect says I should, but my heart is going no. And I'm in their presence and there's something within me that's just detested when I'm around them because they've assaulted my fame and my name. And you know what, I just can't do it, God. And then you say these powerful words, Holy Spirit, change me. And it's not until we come face to face with this brick wall of, you know what, even though, this is my testimony, even though it all makes sense up here, there is something deep within here that I just can't move through this thing unless God transforms me. And He empowers me by Spirit. And that's where Christians shine. Powered by the Spirit to do crazy things that don't make sense. We repent. Do you know how scandalous repenting is? Repenting of your sins does not make sense. Why would it? Unless Jesus died. It makes no sense to repent of sins. It makes every bit of sense to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. I'm sinned. I've sinned. I feel ashamed. Fig leaves. Hiding. That all makes sense if Christ didn't die. But because Christ died and because we're just trusting Him, we're saying, Lord, because You died, I can be who I am. I can, I can actually repent of my sins. I can, I can be a liar who doesn't lie about my lying. And I can allow myself to be exposed so that your redemption in my life can come through brothers and sisters empowered by your Spirit. And we can experience this life transformation at the intersections of life. Because, Lord, you call me to do things that just don't make sense unless Christ died. This is a gospel that I preach to myself almost every day. Jesus, because you died, I'm not going to die. Because you died and because you live, I'm safe. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you tell that to yourself? I'd encourage you to, when you're having an argument with your spouse, just say, just, just go, you know what, Jesus, because you died, I can be honest right now, and I'm safe. I can do this. Holy Spirit, change me. Help me to be honest. Help me to know what's going on. Help me to be honest. 
We trust his word. In other words, we don't make our own directives. We trust his control. In other words, we don't try to manipulate situations, which absolutely makes sense in this world if Christ didn't die and if Christ isn't in control. But we trust that he's actually in control. And in those intersections of life, we stand in awe of how God orchestrates this thing. And we just merely, we just simply obey one moment at a time. One step at a time. Another thing that we do that doesn't make sense is we have a hope in heaven, don't we? And our hope in heaven should actually shock the world. You mean you're spending your life and your resources that way? It doesn't make sense that you do that. And you're like, exactly. It doesn't. My treasures are in heaven. It makes every bit of sense if Christ died to spend our lives doing things that store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, doesn't it? That's what makes sense. If Jesus is alive, we ought to be doing what He said. Storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And I fear, I fear that we don't concentrate on that word reward enough. Because we, we, we're, so, we're so prone to be merit-based that we exclude an entire beautiful category of reward. It's not merit, but it's just simply reward. And it's what God puts out before us to, to get us to go over in obedience. He's like, you know what, your reward will be great. If you don't love those who just love you back, rejoice and your reward is great. You'll be called sons and daughters of God. And finally, I'd like to challenge you this week, this day, to love people in a way that doesn't make sense. I challenge you to think and pray about those in your life that you have a very difficult time loving and just begin to pray. And here's why you pray, because when you begin thinking about them, you're immediately going to go, I, well, not them. Or if somebody comes in your sphere of influence and you're like, I just, I just don't understand it, and you're like, okay, love in a way that just doesn't make sense. Unless Christ died. Because here's the truth. If there's any website that we go to to figure out who we should be, who we should not be around, it should be www.scottmore.com. That man's dangerous. And every single one of us would have our picture on that website too, wouldn't we? But God loved the world. And then he said, whosoever believes. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> for the wonderful work that you have done. Jesus, I thank you that you're alive. And I stand in awe and, and I, my imagination stretches when I try to just consider the fact that you're alive right now. And that you care for us. And that you actually want to bless us. 
and that you are so patient with us that even though our plans are shattered at most times, Lord, you are so close and your covenant presence and your steadfast love is something that at the end of our life we can look back and say, Lord, great is and was your faithfulness to me. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.